following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. Your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. Well, I quit my job down at the car wash, left my mama a goodbye note. By sundown, I left Kingston with my guitar up under my coat. I hitchhiked all the way down to Memphis, got a room at the YMCA. For the next three weeks, I went a-haunting them nightclubs, looking for a place to play. Well, I thought my picking would set them on fire, but nobody wanted to hire a guitar man. Well, I nearly about starved to death down in Memphis. I run out of money and look. So I bummed me a ride down to Macon, Georgia, on an overloaded poacher truck. I bummed on down to Panama City, started checking out some of them all-night bars. Hoping I could make myself a dollar making music on my guitar. Got the same old story, them all-night peers. There ain't no room around here for a guitar man. But don't need a guitar man, son. So I slipped in the hobo jungles, bummed a thousand miles of track. The great storyteller, Jerry Reed. We're here. Uh, we have Adarsh Mushru in the studio. Adarsh, good morning. Good morning, Tom. So we had a big... Uh, uh, let me proceed this by saying, uh, during this hour, we like to discuss investments. Adarsh is with me at uh, Dupree Financial Group, which is a registered investment advisory firm providing investment advice to uh, retirees and those soon to be retired. One of the holdings in our portfolio is a, is a company called Apple. And this week was especially notable in that Apple market cap hits $1 trillion. So that's the cumulative value of all the common stock of Apple. Apple, uh, this is from a, uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal, Apple on Thursday became the first U.S. company to surpass $1 trillion in market value, underscoring the iPhone maker's explosive growth and its role in the technology industry's ascent to the forefront of global economy and markets. Apple's rise has been propelled by the sustained success of the iPhone developed under the late co-founder Steve Jobs, a product visionary who helped revive the company from a death spiral in the late 1990s. His successor, Tim Cook, has turned Apple into a cash-generating giant by pushing its existing products to prominence in China and cultivating its rapidly growing service businesses, a move that may have helped stave off concerns about absence of a low, of a new blockbuster device. And Adarsh... um, you know, this is the first time we've ever seen a market cap 
anywhere near this, and we now have a market cap of $1 trillion in one company. We've got another company that's closing in on it, uh, and that's uh, even maybe even more remarkable of a rise with Amazon but because uh, they haven't been around as long as Apple has. But you, you see just this amazing thing going on with the stock of, of Apple. Right. So th there are actually three other companies which are uh, not too far behind. Uh, there's Amazon, Google, which is now called Alphabet, and Microsoft, which back in the uh, late 90s, if you recall, uh, everyone was speculating that Microsoft was going to be the first company that would hit $1 trillion. Uh, Microsoft is around $850 billion, so that's not too far behind either. So all four uh, tech companies... Uh, you know, are uh, close to this uh, major, uh, you know, level. Uh, Apple, it's quite amazing that uh, unlike Google or Amazon, Apple has been around uh, for quite quite a while. It was founded in the mid-70s. Uh, and it's what you would call a more mature company. It's a company that pays a dividend and generates a lot of cash uh, if you look at Amazon uh, and uh, Google, they are starting to become profitable now, but these are not companies that throw off a lot of uh, dividends or, uh, you know, um, they are more, uh, they are companies that keep reinvesting back into their businesses. Uh, Apple also does that, but Apple pays uh, a dividend also. So it's pretty remarkable for... Apple's got a biggest cash hoard of any company out there it, it does yes so um it's pretty i'd say well deserved you know it's it's not uh, uh a company that you know did is doing well because it's at this point in time where you know everyone's investing in tech stocks it's actually a company that generates a lot of cash is quite profitable so I, i'd say it's a pretty well deserved uh you know um accomplishment so in in april 1976 apple was born um by steve jobs and and steve wozniak they uh put together the apple one computer in jobs's garage which they would go on to sell without a monitor or keyboard the company eventually became incorporated on january 3rd 1977 the apple two uh revolutionized the per personal computer industry. The device's color graphics and user-friendly design were considered to be game-changing innovations at the time. In April 1977, the now-defunct Byte, B-Y-T-E, magazine predicted that the Apple II may be the first product to fully qualify as the appliance computer, a completed system which is purchased off the retail shelf, taken home, plugged in, and used. In its March 1978 review, Byte concluded, for the user that wants color graphics, the Apple II is the only practical choice available in the uh, appliance computer class. And then in December 1980, Apple goes public. Average investors get to take a bite of Apple, which was still considered a risky upstart at the time. The company sold 4.6 million shares at $22 per share under the symbol AAPL on the NASDAQ. And that was the beginning of 
Apple common stock. Right. And, you know, for, for a while there, and both the founders, Steve Jobs and uh, Wozniak, both of them uh, left the company at one point. Steve Jobs went on to find uh, found uh, Pixar, which was later acquired by Disney. Um, and Apple hit a pretty uh, rough you know, spot. Uh, I guess it was mid-90s, early 90s. And then they brought Steve Jobs back. Uh, and at that point, uh, you know, he started uh, introducing uh, new products again. And we know in the early 2000s, the first iPod came out, which was this, uh, this gadget that played uh, music. And that evolved into an iPhone and an iPad. And, uh, you know, now there's... That was October 2001, right after the 9-11. Yes. Um, and now Apple has a pretty, uh, you know, a robust service business. So not only do they sell their hardware products, but they sell all kinds of other services. Um, so they've created this ecosystem. And, you know, once someone starts using an Apple product, it's, it's pretty hard to move uh, to something else. So it's, it's quite a valuable brand. And uh, it's also one of those brands which is like not just in the U.S., but throughout the world. Uh, China has become a major market for Apple. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's just an amazing company. There was a lot of speculation after Steve Jobs passed away a few years ago that in his absence, the company would not be able to do as well as it had. But uh, Tim Cook, who is the current CEO, has quite successfully... Uh, you know, continued to uh, introduce new products and, you know, grown the services business and expanded. Uh, Innovation. Yes. So just, just a remarkable company. Yeah. Is it still a good buy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it, it's still a, a company that generates a lot of free cash flow. Uh, they are buying back stock. Not too long ago, they introduced, in the previous quarter, they announced another $100 billion stock buyback. Uh, and we know one of the best investors out there, Warren Buffett, uh, he bought quite a bit a few years ago and he continues to hold it. Uh, so from that point of view, uh, you know, it's still a company that that's growing sales. You know, they just reported their quarterly earnings a few days ago. And uh, they keep growing. So as long as they keep growing, as long as people like their products, as long as they keep paying uh, a dividend and buying back their shares, um, you know, I, I think it's it's a good company and it's here to stay for many, uh, you know, years to come. Yes. Stay with us. You are listening to the Tom Dupree Show with, Ar with Adarsh Mashru. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. Alexa, I need to know the news. I added to know the news to your shopping list. Oh boy, uh, how about this? Alexa, play News Radio 630 WLAP on iHeartRadio. There you go. Wasn't that easier? Wait, what? Nothing. Here's the station you asked for. Hi, I'm Tom Dupree Jr. Our firm, Dupree Financial Group, has been engaged in the management of retirement investment accounts of our clients for nearly 14 years. My personal time in the investment business spans 40 years. We bring experience to the table in managing your retirement dollars. 
If you would like a seasoned and experienced manager to handle your investment portfolio, then give us a call. To schedule a complimentary review of your retirement investments, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 or send an email to info at dupreefinancial.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and DupreeFinancial.com. 630 WLAP. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. Great storyteller, Jerry Reed. You cannot exceed my need for Jerry Reed on WLAP. There you go. That's why you're here. That's why uh, you know what? You nailed it when you said great storyteller. That's oh, exactly yeah. what he is. That's what he is. So and good. a really, really good guitar picker. Yes. Yes. Okay. Passive investing is storing up trouble. Maybe you want to tell me kind of what this article says. I, I believe it. But uh, uh, describe what the problem is and how it's going to get fixed, or if it if it might not get fixed. Right. So the the main, uh, you know, I guess crux of the issue with passive investing is that it uh, does not take into account the fundamentals of. Uh, different companies. So over the last few years, you know, there have been a lot of ETFs, all kinds of products that have come out that charge, uh, you know, low fees, uh, which make them attractive. But at the same time, all they do is buy a basket of stocks. So it could be just an index like the S&P 500. Uh, it, it could be uh, stocks that have a certain theme, like certain sectors. Uh, but what what these funds do is um, just buy a basket of stocks uh, without regard to what the ind- individual companies in that basket uh, are doing. So a lot of capital has chased uh, businesses which may not be uh, sound businesses or businesses that uh, deserve uh, the sort of capital and sort of valuations that uh, uh, that they have received. So it talks about how investing has become more of a, a momentum sort of uh, uh, play where markets, indexes go up in price just because people are investing uh, into these. Um, and uh, it's worked extremely well on the upside where so much uh, capital is going into these indexes. So they keep going up and up Uh People who run these indexes have to keep buying uh, the stocks of the companies that underlie these uh, indexes. But the big risk is that at some point, if, you know, say we have 
a, a slow slowdown in the economy or if uh, uh, you know people become risk averse then that whole process could reverse uh, and uh, go down you know uh, in price the same way as it has gone up so it's talking about the risks involved when you just throw money without uh, looking at the underlying fundamentals of uh, different businesses right so what we try to do at the pre-financial group is to examine the businesses themselves and the stock itself of these businesses and try to ascertain whether we think it's attractively priced or not it says here the average holding on uh, for a period for a security on the New York Stock Exchange has fallen from two months in 2008, just two hundred, just twenty seconds today. So it it sounds like that these traders, program traders, hedge funds, uh, different rapid traders, have uh, simply taken over the exchanges and uh, made long-term investing sort of a thing of the past right so there's all sorts of uh, algorithms you know uh, computer programs that look for certain trends uh, they look for um, uh, you know just different uh, things that uh, investors are doing so if there's a certain trend that they can spot they immediately go and invest there to try to capture the momentum um, so uh, that that could be, you know, quite risky if uh, all of a sudden uh, those trends change. So, yeah, but as you said, that's what it's become. It's just different hedge funds constantly, you know, trading, taking uh, sides and making momentum plays. So without any regard to uh, fundamentals of these companies. Uh, so they talk about how that could be risky and even the Federal Reserve has started paying attention and they are spending uh, some time and resources to understand, you know, how this could impact the, the wider uh, economy and the financial system if, uh, you know, liquidity were to tighten and if, uh, you know, funds were to leave uh, some of these uh, uh, stocks that uh, these hedge funds are investing in, stocks and ETFs. So, uh, it, no one knows, you know, what will happen, but uh, it, it is something that uh, could pose uh, some risk to the system. It says here, one would be hard-pressed to find a customer willing to hand their money to an investor who genuinely does not care about fundamentals or price. Yet this is a strategy pursued by passive and quant funds. So if you're putting your money into an S&P 500 uh type of index fund, whether it be a mutual fund or an ETF, which stands for exchange traded fund, you're buying something that doesn't care about price and uh, earnings. Uh, they're not worried so much about that. They're simply buying the stock because it's a part of an index that they are wanting to buy. What we do is really just the opposite of that. We will throw a stock out or not a, not buy it because if if the the price or the fundamentals look to be too expensive and uh this by the way is an article found on uh this was on the financial times website um 
you have to be very careful what you're buying because you you don't know uh, the investment that you're making or the price of it sometimes until it's too late. Uh, we haven't had a major pullback in the markets here lately, and uh, we had some disruption in January, February, but, um, you know, we had a, a, a 10% um, pullback, and then the market began to go higher after that. But um, we still have not had a significant pullback, and this is something we try to be very careful about at Dupree Financial Group and and invest in an offensively defensive way. So uh, we're, we're basically trying to keep people from stepping into these holes and puddles of overvaluation that could could damage their portfolio in a long-term way. Right. You know, I mean, if, uh, if you think about what happened in the late 90s, you know, it was a similar phenomenon where tech stocks were doing extremely well. And for years, uh, you know, prudent investors were proven wrong. A lot of them even lost their jobs, you know, mutual fund managers, because... They refused to invest in something where the fundamentals, uh, you know, did not make sense. Um, and uh, after a number of years, it hap- it just so happened that uh, they were right, where there was a lot of uh, enthusiasm about tech stocks and any stock that was uh, tied to the Internet. Uh, and a lot of these stocks uh, had no uh, fundamentals uh, to, to back up their uh, price. Uh, and then the whole thing reversed. So, uh, you know, often uh, people get caught up in this uh, uh, frame of mind where everything's going well, there's uh, optimism, people are exuberant, and uh, they feel like they're doing the right thing because when they invest, you know, they, the price of their uh, stocks or funds go up, uh, but without paying attention to the fundamentals, uh, that that could be a very risky, uh, you know, endeavor. Right. Yeah, it's certainly something we've seen in the past, and we wish to avoid it at all costs for our clients. Stay with us. You are listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Darsh Mashru, News Radio six thirty WLAP. I'm Nick Soboleski, a select quote agent with a true story that could save you hundreds of dollars a year. A woman named Linda just called. Her husband Ray has a three hundred thousand dollar group life insurance policy but is changing jobs and can't take it with him. Well, I shopped the many highly rated term life insurance companies we represent and found Ray, who is 41 and takes medication to control his cholesterol, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $27 a month. That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-226-1818. That's 800-226-1818, 800-226-1818, or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. 
Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Win your way to our 2018 iHeartRadio Music Festival. 20 of the biggest superstars in music. Two nights, one stage. Justin Timberlake. Fleetwood Mac. Childish Gambino. Jack White. Carrie Underwood. Mariah Carey. Imagine Dragons. And so many more. While the world is listening on iHeartRadio, you can be there. T-Mobile Arena here in Las Vegas. There's nothing else like it. Listen for your chance to text in and win this once-in-a-lifetime experience starting Monday right here. The Department of Justice says it plans to appeal a federal judge's order that the Trump administration fully restore the DACA program. Judge John Bates, a George W. Bush appointee, is the third judge to order that the program be restarted. Bates called the president's decision to end DACA in September, quote, arbitrary and capricious and, quote, inadequately explained. ABC's Tara Palmieri, the judge has allowed 20 days for the DOJ to file its appeal. North Korea warning that the agreement to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula could, quote, face difficulties over the U.S.'s calls for other countries not to violate U.N. sanctions against North Korea. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says he plans to speak with Moscow about reports that Russia has been engaging in business ventures with North Korea. Democrats in the Senate plan to begin meeting with President Trump's Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh when they return to Washington mid-month. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer expected to be among those to meet with Kavanaugh. I'm Mark Remillard, ABC News. As we get into your Saturday, it looks to be a pretty good day here across the area. Mostly sunny skies winning out. Small chance for just an isolated shower or a thunderstorm, but most of us will stay dry. Otherwise, look for much warmer highs with temperatures in the mid to upper 80s. For your official weather station, News Radio 630 WLAP, I'm WKYT meteorologist Chris Johnson. Broadcasting live 24 7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP and iHeart Radio Station. Here's another reason to buy your diamond at Genesis Diamonds in Louisville. It's their 110% diamond upgrade guarantee. Hey, it's Tom Leach, voice of the Wildcats. And when you buy a diamond at Genesis and decide later on you want to upgrade to a larger diamond, Genesis will give you 110% of your original diamond purchase price toward the new stone. This is incredible. So, for example, if you buy a $5,000 diamond today and decide a year from now you want to upgrade to a $6,000 diamond, Genesis will give you $5,500 toward the new diamond. That's a 10% guaranteed appreciation when you upgrade. Who else does this? Friends, this is why it is worth the drive to get your diamond at Genesis Diamonds in Louisville. They stand behind what they sell, and they put their money where their mouth is. And it's why Genesis is the official jeweler of the Kentucky Wildcats year after year. Genesis Diamonds, where Wildcat fans get engaged. And Kentucky's best selection of Swiss timepieces, too. On Shelbyville Road in Louisville, Genesis Diamonds. The Polaris factory authorized clearance is here. Rebates go up to $2,000 and financing is as low as 2.99% APR for 36 months on hardworking Rangers, legendary sportsman ATVs, and high-performance Razors. Now's the time to get the year's biggest deals on the world's best-selling off-road lineup. Offers valid in U.S. through 93018 on select new 2015 through 2019 vehicles subject to credit approval. Offers vary by model. See dealer for details. Always wear a helmet. Never drink and ride. 630 WLAP. Well, I kind of looked at the guy and said, oh, really? He turned to the bird and said, do old Willie. When the bird started singing, I almost fell in the floor. Whiskey River, take my mind. Don't let a memory talk to me. Whiskey River, don't run dry. 
Back on the Tom Dupree show. As Jerry Reed does a imitation of Willie Nelson. It's called The Bird. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing about Jerry Reed. He had a great sense of humor about him. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Fed hail strong economy with rate rises ahead. The Federal Reserve stayed on course for a further increase in short-term interest rates as soon as next month as it highlighted the strength of America's economic expansion alongside inflation that is hovering close to target. The U.S. Central Bank held the target range for the federal funds rate at one and three-quarters to two percent as widely expected by U.S. economists in a decision in a unanimous decision by its policymakers. The Fed gave a bullish assessment of the economy following its latest two-day meeting, describing a range of economic indicators as strong. The Fed was an early mover in beginning to pull back its post-crisis stimulus, but has been joined by other major central banks. The European Central Bank is penciling an end to its QE program at the end of the year, while the Bank of England is considering another rate increase. The Bank of Japan stood as the exception this week, pledging to maintain extremely low rates, although it also jolted bond traders by introducing extra extra flexibility into its stimulus program. Okay, why is this something that we're looking at? What 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 does this do for uh, the American economy, for stock market investors? Why should they examine what the Fed's doing? So, I mean, th- there are a few different ways in which uh, the actions of the Fed uh, impact uh, people. They impact uh, consumption because as interest rates go up, the cost of uh, borrowing money goes up. So if you, you know, if you if you get a credit card or if you get a line of credit or a loan, uh, your rate could go up as uh, the Fed raises uh, interest rates. So that's one way it uh, impacts the consumer directly. The higher the rates are, you know, the more expensive it becomes to borrow money. Uh, the second way it can impact uh, people is uh, their investments. So the tighter that money gets and the higher the interest rates uh, are, uh, there, there could be a contraction of liquidity, which means that uh, money, uh, which was chasing stocks or you know bonds or all all kinds of different uh, assets, could uh, contract and it could impact the value of these assets. So, usually, uh, bear markets begin uh, and the economy contracts when interest rates reach a point where. Uh, conditions, monetary conditions tighten. So that means that there's liquidity which makes assets go up and uh, a contraction in that liquidity which could reverse the process. So we look at it as investors to gauge, uh, you know, what may happen to uh, the stock market and what may happen to the bond market. Um, so that's that's how it, it matters. Right. September is a slam dunk. I think December is highly likely, but not quite certain. What they're saying is they think that the Fed will go in September yeah. on another 
one quarter of a point interest rate rise. Yes. Yeah, so earlier in the year, the Fed indicated that they would raise rates four times. They've already raised uh, them twice. And September is when uh, there's markets are expecting that there's a very good chance, given that unemployment is extremely low, inflation is picking up, that they, they will raise rates. Beyond that, there's still a good chance that they'll raise rates one more time, but uh, they're just waiting to see, uh, you know, incoming data. They also don't want to raise rates if uh, inflation is is uh, low, because uh, that that could uh, be premature on their part, and it could, uh, you know, derail uh, the strong recovery that we are seeing. So the Fed is being extremely cautious, but if unemployment remains low or goes lower, and if inflation uh, keeps uh, ticking up, then uh, there's a good chance that they'll raise rates uh, right. w- one more time beyond September. Yeah. The economy is firing on multiple cylinders, according to U.S. figures, showed annualized growth at 4.1% in the second quarter. The Fed's favored measure of the core inflation rate is 1.9% year-on-year. The Fed's rate-raising exercise is becoming more politically contentious, however, with Donald Trump openly criticizing the central bank's tightening last month and a major departure from presidential custom. What about that? Right. I don't think uh, that's a major departure. I mean, in the past, there have been other presidents who've, uh, you know, uh, talked about uh, what the Fed needs to do. Yeah. Uh, and who have, you could argue, interfered with Fed uh, policy. Policy. Yes. Um, so I, I don't think it's a major departure. Here in the la- last, you know, few decades, when Alan Greenspan was uh, uh, chairman of the Fed and Ben Bernanke. Uh, those were normal times. Well, after Bernanke took over, that's when the financial crisis hit. Uh, so these are unusual times. So from that point of view, it's not totally surprising that you know politicians are uh, more involved. But... Um, I wouldn't say it's a major departure. Even back in the 60s, late 60s, when uh, the Vietnam War was going on, and even early 70s, a lot of people would argue that uh, Nixon and uh, Lyndon Johnson before him were uh, also interfering with what the Fed did. Right. And there's always going to be a political component to the money markets, the interest rates and inflation. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, when um, inflation was extremely high, uh, I don't think politicians at that point wanted uh, a recession, but uh, the chairman of the Fed at that point, uh, Paul Walker, was forced to do it because he had to, you know, raise rates and... Uh, in the process, create a major recession. Uh, so even that was a very political event. I, I think he was even receiving death threats at that point. Really? Yes. Um, so it, it is very political, as as you said. So um, this is an article that uh, you have here that uh, tech firms are suddenly becoming the corporate world's biggest investors. A common way to describe, uh, this is an article by Schumpeter. 
That's the economist. Okay, yeah. Common way to describe the history. That's a he's an his guy from history. Uh, he was an economist. He had yeah, many uh, years ago. Schumpeter, yeah. He coined the phrase "creative destruction." Right. A common way to describe the history of the technology industry is by product cycles. The 1990s was the era of the personal computer. Then came the internet and related services, followed by mobile and now artificial intelligence looms. But there is a different way to talk about tech. It's switching from an era of hoarding profits to one of reinvestment. Take a crude yardstick of spending, the physical footprint of the five most valuable American tech firms. A decade ago, if you added up all the land they occupied, you got to an area one and a half times the size of Central Park. Now an ongoing splurge means that means they use 10 times more or 600,000 uh, square feet. No, that's wrong. 600 million square feet, 55 million square meters, roughly the size of all Manhattan. This shift to re redeploying profits is seismic. So what do you say, uh, what do you account for that? Well, I, I think it shows that, uh, you know, we are in the post-industrial age where uh, technology and, uh, uh, you know, what you would call digital uh, uh, innovations, uh, they are going to play a greater and greater role in the economy. So when you think of a company, you think of a you know brick and mortar type of business, but that used to be the previous age where you know businesses had a lot of physical infrastructure, uh, and these were industrial companies, big plants, uh, you know, oil and gas, even retailers. Uh, and at that point, tech companies were just companies that you know, helped these companies innovate right? or, you know, wrote software. Uh, but in this, you know, post-industrial age, tech companies are, uh, every company is a tech company. You know, you, you cannot uh, right. divorce right. technology from uh, your, your business, yep. uh, which means that in our minds, what we think of as tech companies are actually, you know, major real companies that will play a major role, um, n not just uh, when it comes to uh, innovating, but you know, even physically, these will be companies that invest in physical infrastructure. You know, Tesla, for example, it's a tech company, but at the same time, it's an automobile company, which means that there's tremendous physical infrastructure that's required. But at the same time, when you think of Tesla, you don't think of them like you would a Ford. Right. You know? Um, same with Amazon, you know, it's, it's a tech company, but there's tremendous physical infrastructure. They have warehouses and now they've invested in uh, Whole Foods. So all these tech companies, uh, are starting to have a more physical presence, but that's just a product of the age that we live in, yeah. uh, where technology is uh, married to everything that we do. Is Tesla tech or automotive? Yeah, so that's the thing. Uh, it's it's both, you know, and it's it's what you would call a, a modern day company where it is automotive, but it's it's tech. So, you know, a car today has as much software as it has hardware. 
So, you know, unlike the past when if you had to go repair something in your car, you went to a mechanic. Now, Tesla will just update the software and it'll fix a problem in your car. Uh, so it's it's both. It's tech and automotive. Yeah. Do they have cloud services? I mean, do, does Tesla have a cloud services department? Not their own, but they utilize cloud services just like every company does, whether it's to store data or to uh, do computing. So they don't have cloud uh, infrastructure like Amazon or Microsoft uh, or IBM does, but uh, they, they utilize the cloud uh, services of all these companies. Right. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mashru. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. Real life, Real life is happening. Pay close attention. Supreme Court fight to the end. Abolish ICE. They want to abolish ICE. The best economy we've ever had. Real, Real news. Life. 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 News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, I'm Tom Dupree Jr. Our firm, Dupree Financial Group, has been engaged in the management of retirement investment accounts of our clients for nearly 14 years. My personal time in the investment business spans 40 years. We bring experience to the table in managing your retirement dollars. If you would like a seasoned and experienced manager to handle your investment portfolio, then give us a call. To schedule a complimentary review of your retirement investments, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 or send an email to info at dupreefinancial.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and DupreeFinancial.com. 630 WLAP. Well, I guess it was back in 63 when eating my cooking got the better of me, so I asked this little girl I was going with to be my wife. Well, she said she would, so I said I do. But I'd have said I wouldn't if I'd have just knew how saying I do was going to screw up all of my life. Well, the first few years weren't all that bad. I'll never forget the good times we had because I'm reminded every month when I send her the child support. Back well, on the Tom Dupree Show. An inverted yield curve may not portend doom. Today's global financial environment is highly unusual. So an inverted yield curve is when your short-term interest rates are higher than your long-term interest rates. How is it not a bad thing if you have an inverted yield curve? So this this is something that's been coming up a lot. Uh, you know, um, even the New York Times re- uh, ran an article about this, and I people have been asking me too, just friends, you know, uh, because this is all over the news all of a sudden. This is not just something that economists talk about or it's not something that's just in the financial press. So it's becoming more mainstream. Uh, We currently do not have an inverted yield curve. The the yield curve is still upward. It's getting flat. Uh, What that means is that short-term rates and long-term rates are converging. They're almost the same. They're still about a 30 basis points difference between the yield on a two-year 
treasury and a 10-year treasury. Um, but the last, every recession since World War II has been preceded by an inverted yield curve. So that means that the Federal Reserve starts raising rates as the economy uh, heats up, inflation picks up, and there comes a point where long-term rates uh, are lower than short-term rates. And, you know, a few months after that, uh, there's a recession. But this time around, uh, it is a little different um, because after the financial crisis, central banks throughout the world lowered interest rates. We know that, uh, you know, interest rates are, short-term interest rates are close to 2% in the U.S., but they are close to uh, zero in the Eurozone uh, in, right. uh, in Japan. Um, so what that has done is made the U.S. Uh, bond market extremely attractive to foreign investors because, right. and at the same time, the dollar has been strengthening uh, for a number of reasons, which means that if you're a investor in in Europe, why would you invest your money in uh, you know a European uh, or a, a German bond or you know a French bond when you can get a much higher rate investing uh, in the U.S. And at the same time, the value of the U.S. dollar has been going up, which means yes. that you know you don't even lose uh, on the currency transaction. So um, that's resulted in a lot of flows coming into the U.S. bond market and put downward pressure on the long-term bond. Uh, so from that point of view, um, the argument is that long-term rates are not low because the bond market is forecasting an imminent recession or a recession in the near term, but they're low because there's been uh, a lot of demand long-term bonds right so at, at some point if the dollar starts weakening or if interest rates start going up in uh, other parts of the world then we could see long rates move up because you know there'll be uh, outward flow it seems like every time the 10-year bond hits three percent it rallies back underneath that yes and it closed at 2.96 on friday so um I don't get it. You think rates are going to go a lot higher, but as you say, there's all that global money that uh, when when they get to a certain level, it piles into U.S. bonds. Yes. So the the bond market is uh, pretty globalized, a lot more globalized than it has been in previous decades. So this time, an inverted yield curve may not be a, a good uh, forecaster of you know a bear market in stocks or just a a recession in the economy uh, and uh, even in the past when the yield curve has inverted uh, the stock market has kept going up for I think the average period was 18 months uh, before uh, you know the bear, a bear market began so even if uh, the curve inverts you still have time before uh, you can you know uh, reallocate uh, your portfolio so uh, one of the best things that's happening right now is that despite unemployment being so low, inflation is quite low. Yes. Um, and oil prices are also quite low. Right. And we've had, you know, this tax package, so taxes are also 
going down. Uh, so it it is uh, a very you know sweet spot uh, right now. Uh, that's not to say that things won't turn at some point, but as of now, there's no re- real risk to uh, to the economy, and it doesn't seem like there's a major risk. Uh, yeah. To the stock market, either oil closed to sixty eight dollars and sixty eight cents yesterday. Yeah, it it seems to have found uh, it seems to be range bound around here between mid sixties and mid seventies. Right, uh, but that's not a bad place to be because it's at that price. Consumers uh, are still spending; it's not a big burden on them, and oil companies are also making money. Right. Many of them have a break-even point in the low 40s, mid to mid right. to low 40s. Right. So because they've pulled costs out of the system. They have, yes, yes. And technology has helped tremendously, uh, just like we were talking about earlier. Even oil and gas has has been using, oil and gas industry has been using a lot of uh, technology to uh, bring down costs and to become more uh, efficient. They had to do that with the collapse of oil in 2014 yes in order to stay competitive you know when 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 oil was selling for a hundred dollars a barrel for quite a while they got a a little bit lazy and um kind of fat and sassy if you will right and and that's typical uh, behavior you know and the same thing happens to investors too when the stock market keeps going up investors also become complacent and then you know there's something that something happens, and then they are jolted. Uh, so uh, yes, but it's it's amazing how the U.S. has become such a big, a major player in the oil and gas market, and not just crude oil, but the U.S. is also starting to export uh, uh, liquid natural gas to Europe. Uh, so that's been a major game changer, and it's going to have geopolitical implications because you know Europe historically bought their gas from Russia, and now because of how low natural gas prices are, Europe can just buy liquid natural gas, you know, from the U.S. Right. So uh, there's a, a lot of changes happening. So if you want to have your portfolio looked at by a team of uh, investment specialists who ser- who uh, kind of specialize in uh, analyzing companies, analyzing your situation, uh, trying to get to know you and what you're looking for and needing in, uh, in, in retirement investing, you should give us a call at 859-233-0400. That's Dupree Financial Group. You can also contact us at info at DupreeFinancial.com. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show today with Adarsh Mashru. He's the head of our research department. And uh, we appreciate you uh, taking your time to listen. Um, You can also pull us up on the podcast at DupreeFinancial.com and uh, give us a call. 859-233-0400. Been listening to the Tom Dupree Show. It's News Radio 630 WLAP.